In discussion, unpack sustainability in the textile industry, following the cotton supply chain through Gujarat and Maharashtra in India, across the world to China. Discussing issues in the field with Indian farmers, local artisans and international fashion houses, from fibre to fabric to fashion. Cotton is the most widely used natural fibre in the world. 23 million tonnes are produced annually, making up 40% of global textiles. India is one of the world's leading cotton exporters, and its domestic agricultural industry is dependent on cotton production. Global brands are pledging to adopt 100% sustainable fabrics, and farmer-to-retailer organisations like Cotton Connect and the Better Cotton Initiative operate across the value chain to make cotton more sustainable. But confusingly, terms like organic, ethical and fair trade are thrown around and are used interchangeably. For instance, BCI certified cotton, though supposedly sustainable, is not necessarily certified fair trade or organic, nor does it guarantee that child labour isn't employed in its production. So, what exactly is sustainable cotton? To tackle this question, we visited three cotton farms and factories in Gujarat, India's top cotton producing state. We explored the early stages of cotton production, from farm to fibre to yarn. But this is only the start of the chain, preceding the production of the final fabric, garment and its retail. Starting in the field, Harshad, translated by Bhagyashri, explains how local farmers grow cotton in rotation with other crops to maintain soil quality. Okay, so till uh, November, they grow, once they are done with um, cotton, they uh, they have a field. What is it called? Fields of cotton, um, wheat and rice. So that's their alternative support. In March, they do the black cotton. After which, they are like they don't. None of the crops can be grown. These farms and factories predominantly or only work with genetically modified BT cotton. Compared to local desi or kala cottons, BT cotton produces a higher yield of softer fibres and faster. Sandeep from the spinning factory explains that local farmers are turning to GM to meet increasing market demand for more garments. BT cotton will give higher production. That's why people are diverting there. And do you think it's better that we're returning to 100% yeah. rather than man-made and, and uh, now the, the new inventories, textiles also, the new inventions are coming, new fibers also coming. Like that what I told, bamboo fiber, modal fiber, where people are not depending on... The raw cotton is then sent to the neighboring ginning factory, where machines clean the fibers of seeds and waste and bale the cotton. Prior to the invention of the mechanized gin, this labor-intensive process was completed entirely by hand. The filtered cotton that's been like de-seeded comes down here, and then it just compresses it into one massive bale. Why does it come out? This opens up and there's a guy that straps on when it's out. You can see he'll go around like a, a plastic sort of strip that goes around several points of the bale to like pack it in. Where do you sell your cotton to? Is someone who's uh, spinning, mill. spinning mills next door? Surrounding, uh, in surrounding 30 kilometers area, there are uh, seven to eight spinning mills. Mm -hmm. And do you know where it and goes? The government of Gujarat are providing heavy subsidies. Oh, great. To spinning industries. Down the road in the spinning factory, Subramanyam explains how the cotton bales produced in Sumit's factory are then spun into yarn. This is, uh, before it goes to yarn, this is a raw material 
the final product of cotton which before it goes for yarn so this is the, the cotton belts the cotton belts yeah the uh, weight is 160 kg 160 kg One, 160 kg per belt this is the cotton main raw material after that we are making thread this is the the 30 count is for making uh, shirts and all that 32 is for making um, underwear banyan and all that jungies and then 34 is for making t-shirts if you are making cotton shirt it comes under 32 how many different counts do you have four five four four counts four five 30 32 34 36 40 as of 2013 nearly 2000 of these cotton mills were operating across india however the decentralized small scale model of land ownership and production in indian agriculture is a barrier for sustainable innovation for instance Hemp is a long fiber alternative to cotton which demands less water and no pesticides in its production. But India's current manufacturing infrastructure is built for short staple or fiber production. Shiraj from Bahiko explains that gin mills are unlikely to innovate the machines and movement towards more sustainable fibers will likely come from farmers choosing to grow different crops. India has always been a short fiber country. Jute, linen, hemp, all three are long fibers long fiber processing in india has taken a long time and still not cutting it as far as the softer ones are concerned the short ones are concerned you can find out more about the environmental impact of bt cotton and alternative fibers in our episode on environmental sustainability throughout this process waste is minimized and repurposed the cotton farmers use manure from surrounding farms rather than artificial fertilizers and waste cotton seed oil is sold locally as a cheaper alternative to groundnut oil for cooking These resource maximizing measures are almost unintentionally environmentally sustainable. There's something called as cotton seed cake and one the part of it cooking was oil. Cooking oil. Cooking oil changed to be cooking oil. Cooking oil. Okay. And what is the cake? Cake uh, kettle feed. Kettle feed. Oh, it's a kettle feed. The cake goes into a kettle feed. That's the waste lint that's filtered out. and they use that to make mattresses. Is there lots of waste? Lots. One or two percent. and all the waste comes here and then we will make press press like that mm-hmm. this is our pressing machine yeah they had a similar one to in the cottage gym uh, we will get and from inside inside the machine we will get the so we will see inside the factory mm. and that waste is still reused we are making our business profit we will not throw it out we have to sell visiting these farms and factories often challenges our expectations The collapse of the Bangladeshi Rana Plaza garment factory in 2013 still defines consumers' perceptions of poor working conditions in the textile industry. In the factories, the air was hot and thick with cotton fibers. The noise of the machinery often overwhelming. So we've just come a bit further into the um the factory and it's really really humid in here and that's because it needs to be in order to be able to spin the fibers. Um so they're like actively humidifying the room and they I've done this in like northwest England because it's naturally a place that's really quite wet and humid and they'd have to like put water on the floors every morning so you're completely 100% natural and then they come here to be packaged and they keep the plastic bags on them to retain the moisture yeah that's why it's not allowed yeah it has to be 35 degrees all over every clothing manufacturer is trying to outsource their garments from third world countries countries like bangladesh india Vietnam all of these places where labor is cheap and it's appalling the conditions that these people work in 
a lot of factories are really small congested i mean the workers stay at the same place they work in the same place if they are crowded cramped they cook in the same place they sleep in the same place they do not get any benefits from their employers they do not get any such thing as a provident fund leave they tend to they are made to work very often for 12 hours a day 15 hours a day they work in pathetic conditions because they need the money they don't have a single voice they do not have union the gender division of labor certainly persists and most of the spinning factory workers we saw were unmarried women yet both subramanyam and ella highlight increased gender equality in their workplace working conditions with 8 hours shift morning shift our staffs are workers are in ladies and second and third we will take men's ah. and then night hours we are making gents so it's people working two jobs two jobs we are providing employee to yeah women also Do any of the women that have been here quite a while ever get promoted to be? So we are making a ladies supervisor and all that for making the problem of the ladies. We will adjust our ladies supervisor and all that. They will take care of this ladies. My name is Ila and I'm I am working from here last uh, six year from uh, when the company built here and I am working with uh, girls laborers and uh, other laborers. There are lots of women that work. How many yeah. women work? 215 uh, women and girls and working many? here is a 425 uh, men and women to the to the men and women do different kinds of work no uh, same job same. maintenance staff is other job but uh, women women uh, in production same job men and women yeah Your every year uh, 10 10 above uh, girls are married and go so when they married yeah married women is only uh, 10 or 4 Uh, only packing area. Uh, all all department is unmarried girls. It was very interesting to listen to those people who work there. Like everyone was talking with like a lot of enthusiasm and happiness when you ask them actually what they mm, do. They were so enthusiastic. And, yeah. Mm. You could also tell that by the way that they actually wanted to introduce us to all the people. It's quite difficult for us just going there for like a couple hours in an afternoon to know what it is really like because a massive group of people have just turned up at your factory. and like obviously everyone's going to be quite excited and curious as to why we were there and I do wonder how much people knew about the reason we were coming and also how much of it was sort of put in a way that would make sense to us and like how honest people were being yeah. um and I guess it's just something that we can't really know but yeah after spinning the yarn is then exported across the world to be woven into fabric and this international industry is booming Subramanyam explains that the factory hires 30 new employees every month just to keep up with demand. So, factory is about 6 years old. Is it? So, fairly new because there's so much demand for demand, content. We will make the order like the demand. Demand is very good. But all three sectors are uh, 24 hours working. Three sectors are my Yeah, uh, keep keep going. The, we are improving the um, quality and making the right. productivity and uh, getting um, uh, demand. Also, we are making market and our sales sales is going higher side yeah. only, not down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so are there more and more factories the appearing more, in this area? The more the export of cotton um, thread mm-hmm. is demanding in countries. Right. So accordingly, we get the order through merchant exporters. We will export. all the things okay 
90% of my cotton is going for export. Only 10% is for home consumption. Where is your okay. uh, biggest export? Yeah, export Indonesia, Vietnam, China, Japan. Egypt. Interesting was the um, sort of localized emphasis of the whole production. They were all basically on the same road, these three factories. And then suddenly at the spinning mill, I was expecting when I asked, so where does this yarn go to be weaved? I was expecting another place in Gujarat, but actually he was like, oh, South Africa, like list, listed all of these countries which were, you know, very far away from the main production of the cotton. At this point, the localised, interconnected nature of cotton fibre production goes transnational. You can learn more about the global textile value chain in our episode on trade and business. Yet textile production in India has a long international history. Under late British colonial rule, the Indian textile industry was forced into virtual collapse. Between 1800 and 1860, exports dropped by 98%, while back in northern England, industry boomed with the production of its cheaper machine-made yarn. The influx of English goods, along with tariffs on Indian imports, destroyed the domestic textile industry in India. The subsequent loss of income led to widespread famine and the deaths of between 1.5 and 1.7 million Indian weavers. The American Civil War changed the situation because the slave trade ended and it was no longer cheap to produce cotton in the United States on the same scale that it had been before the Civil War. So India began to fill a gap, started growing cotton, which was then sent to Lancashire mills in the United Kingdom. However, for peasants in the region, it could have provided an opportunity for them to make lots more money, but local merchants kind of intervened and you got a big network set up, which would eventually leave the peasant with the least amount of money. But the person who sold the cotton to British merchants would get the most amount of money. Um, and then the cotton, account, the cotton economy in India started... To survive, many workers moved into agriculture and subsistence farming. And by the Declaration of Indian Independence in 1947, 90% of the national workforce was employed in agriculture, many of whom had historic family connections to weaving. Reconciling this difficult history is a continual, necessary effort. In the contemporary textile industry, we are not only detached from this formative legacy, but from the people and processes behind our everyday clothing. We as Westerners have helped construct a system in which the Indian economy is incredibly dependent on cotton farming. If we were to stop or if we were to invest in alternative industries, maybe in buying British fashion or buying clothes which use different materials that aren't sourced from India, we could then end up causing grave levels of unemployment in the Indian economy if the cotton industry collapses, for instance. How do we then go about making our fashion choices more sustainable? How do policymakers go about deciding what's the best thing to do, or what's the right thing to do, rather? If you were to give more money or if you were to subsidise the industry, how would you be certain that that money went to people who needed it most? Textile sustainability, then, is more than a question of environmental friendliness. 350 million people worldwide now depend on cotton production for their income, and cotton accounts for over half of Indian textile production. As much as we have an urgent need to invest in environmentally sustainable choices, like buying local or natural fibres, we have a social responsibility towards those who are affected by those same choices. More than mere environmental friendliness, sustainability demands environmental, economic and cultural attention. An interdisciplinary, intercultural approach is essential to rethinking this industry. 
In our other episodes, you can learn more about the range of issues related to textile sustainability and the Focus India project.